I'd like to also point out that if you are fasting and you've made your decision, you made your plan, and you have a day where you stumble, quote unquote, and you you like, I failed at the fast, you know, I've, I didn't do this for three days and I did this, you know, the tendency of all human beings is to just, I'm off the wagon. And, uh, you know, when you get off the wagon, you just give up the whole thing. But it's not an all or nothing deal. It's, it's, it's not that legalistic kind of mindset. You just got to keep on going. And I always like to remind people and remind myself, preach the good news to myself, every day that we think is our be- best, most awesome day where we walk with God and do everything right according to our own standards or even to God's standards, you know, we are living on just as much grace from God as we are on our v- very worst days. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All of us miss the mark every day. No one's hit a bullseye except for Jesus. And so it's kind of a false thing to think, oh, I failed. Well, you know, you were living on grace already. You just got more. You just got a little bit more. A drop in the sea of God's grace. So let's go forward together. So going into uh, the new year, 2018, uh, it's hard to believe. Um, it's been two years uh, December, I think it was December 8th or something, a couple years ago that I became the senior pastor here. And then before that, I was kind of just mostly filling in because I was the assistant pastor when, when Pastor Mark left. So I've kind of been preaching to you and talking to you for about 30 months, kind of on a more solo level, which is an interesting thing to think about. So I thought it'd be kind of cool to look at phase one of the journey that we've had together uh, since I kind of came, came on as senior pastor. Um, we talked a lot, and there are some themes to what we've talked about. So where have we been, and where are we going? It's important to know what came before so we can understand what comes after. So here is my, my list. Uh, when, I, when I first started in, in June 2015, preaching kind of solo, I took us through the book of James, which is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Uh, it's one that Martin Luther, the reformer, who I, I visited in, in Wittenberg, his grave and stuff, he said it was an epistle of straw, and it should be thrown out of the Bible. He didn't like it, because he, he felt like it was a works righteousness kind of book, but it's not. It's not. It's, it's, it's an excellent book. It just talks about this idea that, you know, if someone claims to have faith, but they don't, like, do anything that is reminiscent of someone that has faith, then their faith is dead, so it's like, like if, you, if your heart has been warmed by the love of Jesus Christ and you've been forgiven of a great debt of sin, you love much, you know, you forgive other people when they sin against you, like, like in the Lord's Prayer. You know, there's some fruit. And so James says, you know, faith without works is dead. And James boldly tells people to, to uh, pray for the sick and expect that God can heal people. So that was a really cool series to go through. Um, in that Advent season two years ago, I went through this idea of the promised plan of God, that from the time of Genesis where human beings sinned against God, God made the promise uh, that, yes, Satan would strike the heel of Christ, but Jesus would crush the head of Satan. And we, so we trace that promise through the Sundays of Advent and how it's, it's just represented and, and mirrored so many times in the Old Testament. It's remarkable. It's, almost, it's poetry how God wrote, put the Bible together in the history of, of, of salvation. So we looked at the promised plan of God through the whole Old Testament into coming up to Jesus when God came himself in the flesh. Then we went to, the, to our Ephesians series. Uh, that was well, December to May 2016. And this is a book that really is about who we are as a church, the church, 
And it's a great book that teaches us how to be the church, which is, was really important. And during that time, I took us through, as a church through the Essential 100 Passages of Scripture, which was a little program that got developed where you read 100 really important, pivotal passages of Scripture to get a big, zoomed-out view of the Bible. So I blogged through that. That's on the website now. Uh, and then and we went through that together to get a big-picture view. Uh, in the summer of 2016, I did a, a series on who God is. And the point of that was, the things that we think about when we think about God are the most important things that we think, you know? What you think of when you think of God changes everything that you do and how you engage with life and with the world, you know, how much, how many risks you think you can take, faith-filled risks, you know, how, how loving do you think God is? How merciful do you think God is? You know, how, how do, does believing these concrete things about God transform us? And that's what that series was all about. And all of that was meant to prepare us for our Acts series, which we just finished up uh, in December, this, this month actually, in the beginning of the month. Uh, something that I had spoken of with, with Alan Yates when we were talking about some of this stuff was this idea that Jesus was God. And when Jesus came at Christmas, it, was, it wasn't just like this idea of God's son coming, it was God in the flesh, God himself. And all those attributes that make up who God is uh, were our attributes that Jesus has because Jesus is God. This is a, a solid Trinitarian kind of worldview. And so it's kind of cool to, to see in this big picture way People often delineate and say, oh, the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, different gods. No, they're one and the same. Jesus is God. And we got to see the cool things that the Holy Spirit did in Acts. Uh, and the Holy Spirit is also God. You know, this is the Trinitarian thing. God, Son, Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Great God, three in one, right? So we got to look at that. We got to see the amazing things that God did in that. And that brought us into our small groups where we did the River Dwellers book by Rob Reimer and talked about how we do we engage in walking in and with the Holy Spirit, giving him access, hearing his voice, ministering to other people, dealing with disappointment, discouragement, difficulty along the way with God, and just it opened us up to this awesome conversation about how we engage with the living presence of God because the book of Acts is only meant to be the first act of of. of the work of the Holy Spirit in history. Since then, he's continued to work. He continues to do and say and work in the same ways he did in the book of Acts. And even in our church, we have testimonies of people that have been touched by Jesus, healed in, in their body. They've gone through traumas, and Jesus has healed them of some of those emotional scars. The memories remain, but it's not controlling their life anymore. People have dealt with unforgiveness, bitterness problems. Uh, people have had marriages be saved by the Holy Spirit. Uh, in, in this church, there's tons of testimonies in this church and outside the church of the continual work of the Holy Spirit. Um, we, had so, we, had some, we had some healings at Holy Spirit Weekend that you have not heard about. They're not my stories to tell, but I will tell you astounding healings. Astounding healings. Lifelong illnesses cured by, by the hand of Jesus. Why, why is that still happening? Because we're in the age of the church where the Holy Spirit continues to do everything that he did in the book of Acts that we just read about. And that's why I kind of insisted to call that the acts of the Holy Spirit, you know? Which sounds very threatening, the acts. But it's the acts, you know? <laughs> the acts of the Holy Spirit. If you view God with, as having an axe, you live your life a certain way. In fear. Ooh, I don't like preaching while sick. Okay. 
So then we, we did uh, Philippians. We did Five Stones, which was a, a book about discipleship in our, in our houses. And then we, and then we did uh, Philippians in our small groups. And, and we got, finally, the last study that we did was Awakening, which was the Stovall Weems book. And it's a book about grace. That's what I think. It's a book about fasting. It's a book about grace. It's a book about how if we just make room for God in our lives, God's going to fill it. God is a filler. But God is not a forcer. God's not going to force himself into your life. You need to give him access. And that's kind of what this whole fast is about, giving God access, making a special 21 days for God to do work in our lives. And finishing all this out, we had our Holy Spirit weekend, which you've heard about today, where we heard some great teaching. People heard from God. It was awesome. So now we are coming into what I call phase two. And this is not a cult. This doesn't end with Kool-Aid and spaceships, I promise. Um, but there is this work that God is doing in us that he's been prepping us for, and, and we're going into you know, something where I feel, maybe it's arbitrary, but I really feel like we're moving into a new season in the church where God is doing this awesome work and he's building the church that he wants to have here. Um, the scripture God gave me, which I shared with you in a sermon from Micah 7, where God says through the prophet, What misery is mine? I'm like the one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat, none of the early figs that I crave. And the picture is of God, you know, you come expectantly into your garden looking for those delicious vegetables and fruits that you've been trying to grow, and you find only worm-eaten, half-baked, rotten stuff. And God is saying, What misery is mine? I look down at my people and none of the stuff that I want to see happening in them is happening. It's a, it's a barren, desolate wasteland of, of people rotting and doing terribly. And, and the, the prophetic word that I felt like God gave to me was, he wants, God is making us into a garden of his delight, a place where he, when he looks down at us, he sees a place where he's welcome, where we've given him access, and where he can be free to move and do the work that he wants to do, that we are partnering with him. And so... Uh, that's, that's kind of what God's been doing in us. It's a vision that he's brought us through. And, uh, and so phase one for this year, we're going we're gonna to do this corporate fast. Again, what does it look like? Could it, be, it could be a food fast. For some, it's going to be something different. But you've got to make a plan and do it. Set this time apart uh, with us together. Uh, you, if you saw my email, you saw that you know, God really put it on my heart that we were to read through the entire Bible, not just a, essential 100, but read through the whole Bible together as a church body. So we're going to be doing that starting on January 28th. And we're going to take a bunch of time to read five passages a week. It's, it's made for commuters. There's an app for your phone, for your computer, for your Android, Google, whatever device. Um, five readings per week with commentaries. You can listen to them in the car right from the app. And then every week I'm going to preach on one of those passages in church. So it'll tie in with the church. And our small groups that are launching in, uh, in February are going to go through those readings as well. So we'll all be reading through the Bible together because uh, every time you pick up the Bible, Rob Reimer says, every time you pick up the Bible, you are one Holy Spirit breath away from a fresh encounter with the living God. I believe that. There's power in those written words because they are, the author of those words is God himself. It's a special book. Jesus is the word of God. The scripture is the written word of God. When the, when the written word of God and the living word of God come together and you're sitting with your Bible, powerful stuff happens. It's transforming. Who can, I mean, everyone here could testify to a, a sermon that was based on the Bible 
or something they read in their alone time that changed their life, the course of their life. Um, it's powerful stuff. And if you've never read the Bible, uh, this is a time that we can do that together. You always have two days to catch up because it's a, it's a seven days in a week, but five days of readings. And, and the thing reads to you. It's so easy. I'll show you how to do it as we get closer to it. But God's really put that on my heart to challenge us to get through the Bible together, to talk about it together, to preach through it together. And then, and then finally, in the, uh, the groups in the spring right before uh, our summer sabbatical from small groups that we take every summer, we're going to go through this book, Soul Care, in small groups, and just talk about some of the things Jesse shared. So what are the things that are holding us back? You know, there are disappointments, Bitterness, unforgiveness, past traumas, things we've done to other people, things that other people have done to us. You know, oftentimes there is plenty of theology in the church for those uh, who have sinned. You know, we come to church, oh, we're all sinners, God forgives us. But what about those, those people that have been sinned against? We don't talk about that a lot, but a lot of people have been, we're seeing it in the news. There's much more people that have been sinned against than maybe people thought previously. Um, and how do you work through those things? So this book is meant to help us to make more space for God. And we're going to be buying like 50 of these books that are going to be in the lobby starting in the next couple of weeks. And we're going to be going through them with our small groups in the, the uh, spring. That's where we've been. And the whole idea is just to continue following in the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in us to become that garden of God's delight. And when he comes down to us, he sees the choice figs he was hoping to see and the clusters of grapes that he was hoping to see, that we become for God a place that he delights to be a part of. So today we're going to talk about teaching us how to pray, seeking God in 2018. It is the new year after all, beginning tomorrow. I just have a few, a few thoughts from this passage uh, of scripture. This is in Luke 11. If you want to follow along, you can. We're going to read Luke 11, 1 to 13. I'm going to go through it bit by bit. But a really, a really good quote that I read recently uh, said this. It said, when Christ built his church, he built a praying church. That's the kind of church that Christ built. When Jesus made disciples, he made praying disciples. The size of your ministry is determined by the size of your prayer life or the scope of your ministry. For what are you asking God? The size of your prayer life is revealed by the size of your answers to prayers. What size answers are you receiving? You know, Jesus defined the church as a house of prayer for all nations, filled with and empowered by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And this is who we're still called to be today. This is how we define church. So Lord, teach us to pray. Uh, comes from this passage. We're going to take a look at this. One day... Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So this is an example of the disciples asking a really awesome question to the very person that would have the very best answer. So this is a pretty good like alignment. This isn't like the passage we read during communion where it's like, when did you get over here, Jesus? You know, it's not like about itinerary. It's about something of substance. Teach us to pray just like John's disciples taught them to pray. There are really, when you think about it, uh, two types of people. Those that feel like they don't know how to pray 
and those who feel like they know how to pray, but they don't. So there's really no, no shame in, in like having a lacking a prayer life or not doing very well in this area. This is something we're supposed to go to God with and ask him for help with. And when we go to, go to God through the Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ, and say, teach me how to pray, we're asking the right question to the right source, and God is faithful to show us how to pray. And he will, he will change us, he'll grow us in this way. But, you know, the, the problem is when people are so proud and they think they have it all figured out, and their prayers is, are just like, you know, Jesus criticized the Pharisees of his day because they prayed to be heard by other people. They used complicated words, heady theological terms. They shouted it from the corners. Look, what a great prayer warrior I am, they'd say, you know? And Jesus said, you don't have to pray like that. You, you pray as if, as if God doesn't already know what you need before you ask him, but he does. God knows already. So pray to God as if God knows what you need and wants to give it to you. Don't pray to him in this overly verbose, you know, trying to impress others kind of way. To the people that knew how to pray, Jesus said, you're proud. You're not, you're not reaching. Your prayers aren't connecting with God. But to those who sincerely wanted to learn how to pray, you know, Jesus was very charitable, and he wanted to help them out. So for us, 2018, this is a time for us to ask God afresh, especially as we're fasting. Take all your preconceived notions about what prayer looks like or what it is, and put them aside, and say, Lord, teach me how to pray. I feel like I've been disconnected from you. I feel like when I pray to you, it hits a wall, and I don't understand why. Let me throw all those sermons and methods away that I've heard from Pastor Nathan. Haven't helped me at all. And, give, and teach me how to pray. Teach me how to humbly connect with the source of life. And you know, right praying flows from right thinking about God. Jesus says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Your father's good. That's going to change the way you pray. So, second verse different from the first. Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that's, meant, that's meant to cause you to raise your eyebrows. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Interesting thing about this prayer that Jesus prayed and taught his disciples, it's a great prayer. It's actually the best of the best of the best of the greatest hits of all the Jewish ra- best Jewish rabbis of Jesus' day. These, this prayer is a conglomeration of like four different rabbinic prayers that people would have prayed. And Jesus put all the, it's like a greatest hits collection of all the best prayers. And he said, these, these people got it right. Here's how I want you to pray. So it's, 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 uh, it was never meant to probably be just recited, but everything in there is really, really Good. Um, Father, holy, set apart is your name. Let your kingdom come. Your rule and your reign in my life and in my sphere of influence and in this world. Give us what we need for today and forgive us our sins and let, you know, the unspoken thing there is make sure that you forgive those who sin against you too because you've been forgiven a great debt and lead us not into temptation. Do not let us fall when we are being tested is what this is saying. Not, it's not that Jesus, God doesn't tempt anyone. People are tempted when they're, by their own sinfulness, they're drawn away and enticed and dragged away, the scriptures say. Uh, but 
This is saying, Lord, don't let us fall when we're being tested. Great prayer. But again, this is a greatest hits collection. This is stuff that perhaps the disciples had heard before. And so Jesus goes deeper. He tells them a story. Jesus said to them, and again, this is an answer to the question, Lord, teach us how to pray. Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend. You go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine is on a journey and has come to me. I do not have food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. And my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread, because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you just as much as you need. Between friends, if someone asked for bread, you gave them bread in this culture. You know? It would be very dishonorable to, to you and your community if you didn't. Um, when there's a stranger in town, in this context, if you didn't help them out, give them lodging and food, it looked bad for you and for everybody else. But he's saying, Jesus is saying in this, in this teaching, even though, in verse 8, your friend will not get up and give you the bread because of the friendship, it's just not enough to get him out of bed, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So let me ask you this. Who has a wallet with them? All right. Who's got a 20? Who's got a 20? You, young lady. Give me a 20. Yeah. Who else has got money for me? It's not, you're not getting it back. This is an offering to the church. Who's going to give it to me? Come on. It's taking forever. <laughs> yeah. A fi- yeah, I need 20. This is only a five. I'll t- whatever it takes, I'll wait as long as it t- takes to get the money. I need the money right now. Come on. Between the two of you, surely you can come up with 20. That's 15. Between the two of you, surely you have it. You guys are, you guys are one flesh. You're my husband and wife. You're both responsible. Look at this. Glory, glory. It's like, it's like, a, TV, it's like a TV preacher, right? And now your prayers will be answered. I mean, spill. So, of course, yeah, I made you spill your coffee. Here's your money. I'm not really keeping it. Don't worry. Of course, this is an illustration. That is called shameless audacity. I didn't feel insecure about sitting around and pounding on the floor and demanding the full $20 from anybody. Give it to me. Because of the person's shameless audacity to bang on the door of the house to wake up the whole family because these people lived in one-room houses with one mattress and everyone was on that mattress. And if you have more than two kids, you know it's going to be, you know what, if they wake up in the middle of the night. So bang, bang, bang on the door. You know, go away. We're sleeping. The kids are sleeping. The door is locked. You might not have noticed that. Kept on knocking, kept on knocking. This is called by Jesus shameless audacity. And he says... Your friendship isn't enough to get him to open the door. After all, putting kids back to bed is a horrible ordeal. 
But because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And Jesus says we're supposed to pray to God like this. Just saying. Interesting um, that that would be something that would please the Father's heart, that we would be shamelessly audacious as we come to him. And he closes out this teaching on prayer. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you eventually. Keep on knocking. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, according to my giant, huge study Bible, which I'm very proud of now, soft cover, so when it hits you with it, it doesn't hurt so bad. According to this study Bible, few other rabbis, if any, would encourage such a radical, childlike confidence in the provision of God. Jesus was a rabbi, right? Other rabbis would not go this far. But Jesus goes far enough to say, alluding to the past story, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. He takes it a step further and brings it, brings it home for us. How many, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give a good gift to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What Jesus is saying is, God is a good father. The God that I pray to is a good father. Even the worst fathers on the earth don't poison their children when they ask for food, for the most part. You know, there's some pretty wicked stuff out there. But in general... People that are, that are pretty crummy fathers or mothers will eventually will, will give their kids what they need for the most part. And so he's saying, if your view of God is that he's barely, he's just dying to give me poison when I ask him for bread. He's just dying to give me a scorpion. Uh, he's dying to give me a snake, something to hurt me. So when I ask him for something, you know, he's, he's, he's ready to, to unleash the plague on me. That's a bad view of God. And how you think about God determines everything. And so Jesus says, if those who are evil can even do these things, how much more your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In these days, the Holy Spirit was pretty much given to one or two people at a time. Now the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all humankind, according to Joel 2 and according to Acts uh, the Holy Spirit is in every believer. And, uh, and, and God promises that, you know, when people ask for the Holy Spirit, he's going to pour that out on them. So this is a, a great passage on prayer. And it brings us to that question, Lord, teach us how to pray. And Jesus gives a good prayer. Then he gives two stories that are even better, in my opinion. And this is to help us. This is to help us begin to answer that question, Lord, how do we pray? Well, you pray with the right mindset. Belief in who God is. Belief in his goodness. Belief in that he knows everything. Uh, that we pray and we are, we are persistent. That we are even obnoxiously persistent for as many years as it takes 
to be audacious in prayer, to push and knock on that door, and to remember in all those things that God is a good father and wants to, um, wants to bless his children. Um, so this is, this is kind of the teaching for today, for 2017, uh, 2018, that as we ask God, how, how are we to pray? That we change, you know, we throw away some of those paradigms that hold us back, uh, some of the past failures of prayer, and just start with a blank slate. Lord, teach me how to pray. Teach me how to pray with the right mindset. Teach me how to pray. And as we fast, teach me how to pray. Uh, you might be a little bit more shamelessly audacious. I know I will when, when, the, when the fast uh, continues and it becomes difficult. God encourages us to go all the way and to really uh, seek him and learn how to pray afresh with humility, with the, with, the, with the ears and the eyes and the heart of a student to a teacher. Rabbi, teach me how to pray. Teach me. I want to follow you. So as the worship team comes forward, they're going to lead us in a closing song. For the fasting, there, there is a handout in the lobby, and you can fill in what your plan is for the 21 days. Again, it can be food. It could be something else that you choose to do if you cannot do the food thing. I encourage you to do this. And it's on, on our Facebook as well, this link to this. And then secondly, and this is the question I think is most important uh, for, for us after looking at Luke 11. During this fast, I'm praying and believing God for fill in the blank. All right? This is not prosperity gospel. This is not like you put down a, uh, you know, a BMW or something, and then I'll, I'll get it because I fasted. It's not like that. But let's, let's seek God honestly. Let's seek to draw near to him. Let's seek uh, what only he can give us. And let's make a plan and, and have a, some kind of faith-filled component to this thing so that we're not just um, doing a works righteousness kind of activity. It's about seeking God's face. So let's seek him together, and then I'll dismiss us. Join me in this simple prayer. Lord, teach us how to pray in 2018.